You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The T-Biz Podcast delivers T-News that you need to know. A recap of the week's major headlines with commentary and cultural trends hosted by Dan Bolton. It is the voice of origin for tea professionals and enthusiasts worldwide. The T-Biz podcast and blog connect you directly to experts in the tea lands. Listen as their voices reveal the news, innovations, cultural insights, and consumer trends that most impact the industry. Paired with Tea Journey, a digital magazine for tea enthusiasts, the T-Biz portal is a global resource for everyone who loves tea. Hello, everyone. Here are this week's headlines. Tea is overflowing Mombasa auction sales warehouses. Black Friday sales grew by 7.5% to $9.8 billion. And Sri Lanka tea growers are welcoming a strong year-end finish. Plus, the year-long commemoration of the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party counts down to a grand-scale live reenactment in two weeks. There will be special exhibits and artwork, virtual presentations and webinars, theatrical performances, and the dumping of a 1,000 pounds of loose-leaf tea, no tea bags, donated to the Boston Tea Party and Ships Museum for the December 16th event. Joining us today is author and tea historian Bruce Richardson, the tea maestro, Bruce is the founder of Elmwood Inn Fine Tea and has served as tea master for the Boston Tea Party Ships and Museum since 2011. A renowned storyteller, Bruce recounts the momentous decision to defy the British King and Parliament by tossing 340 chests of tea into the sea, lighting the fuse of rebellion 250 years past. More in a minute, but first this important message. What makes a perfect cup of Ceylon tea? The perfect cup is from the tea businesses that ensure the protection of all the children living within their tea estates. We salute Kailani Valley, Telawakili, Bogawanthalawa, Harana, and Elliptia Tea Estates. Support Save the Children, Sri Lanka. Kenya's sales warehouses are overflowing with unsold consignments, lying idle due to a government-imposed minimum price for tea sold at the Mombasa auction. Buyers are not bidding the minimum. Instead, they pay lower prices for staling tea and tea grown in other countries. The nation reported, quote, 
Industry estimates show that about 60% of stocks sent to the weekly sale over the past six months remain unsold in warehouses. End quote. Favorable weather compounds the problem. Cumulative output increased by 2.34 million kilos year-on-year to 273.6 million kilos through October. To make room for newly harvested tea, which is arriving in unusually large consignments, growers may be forced to mulch or burn older stocks. Kenya Tea Growers Association Chief Executive Apollo Kiari told the newspaper the problem is the minimum price set by the state. Quote, Buyers do not want to buy at that price, which has triggered a crisis because a lot of tea is going unsold, end quote. Sixty percent of the tea sold at auction is grown in Kenya, and most of that tea is from growers affiliated with the Kenya Tea Development Agency. The central government in late 2022 imposed a minimum price of $2.43 per kilo, That's about 370 Kenyan shillings. The rate was set to compensate KTDA's 600,000 growers in 16 tea-growing counties. It was not market-driven. Mombasa is the highest volume auction in the world. Tea from several countries are offered weekly in two sales. Secondary grades are auctioned on Monday and premium grades on Tuesday. The glut is mainly from unsold lots of low-grade tea. If teas listed in the weekly catalog are not sold, the seller can store the tea in the registered warehouse, reprint the offer, and return it to the auction two weeks later. The sellers can only bring back unsold crops twice, after which time the tea becomes passive. Offers are accepted during the passive window, but generally at prices well below auction averages. Buyers favor fresh tea, and with supply outstripping demand, the catalogs are filling with reprints placed by factories desperate to sell. In The National, Chiari described a doomsday scenario, quote, more unsold tea weekly, more reprints unsold multiple times, less cash to pay for inputs and to pay farmers, so money must be borrowed, interest paid. Much of this tea is made from smallholder farmers' leaves. About 40% of the smallholder tea grown on the west side of the Rift Valley remains unsold, end quote. He urged the government to shelve minimum prices for producers in the West Rift Valley, Pakistan blenders are exploiting the current situation, purchasing large quantities of unsold stock for less than $2 per kilo. He suggests that the government clear the surplus at a discount to African countries or burn or throw it on tea fields. Quote, once the backlog is cleared, return to an orderly marketing structure, end quote, said Carrie. Business Insight Brown's Investments has completed the acquisition of James Finley's Tea Farms and Bumang Carco. The estates will collectively be known as Brown's Plantations, Kenya. The price was not disclosed. 
Workers and local investors were offered 15% of shares for sale through a local cooperative society. Based in Sri Lanka, Browns announced in May its intent to purchase 10,300 hectares of Kenyan land, including 5,200 hectares under T, over nine Finley's estates. In Sri Lanka, Browns owns 49 estates spanning 30,000 hectares and employs more than 10,000 people. James Finley's retained the Seosa Tea Extraction Facility, now known as Finley's Extracts, Kenya. Black Friday proved resilient as consumers set a sales record, spending $9.8 billion, up by 7.5% compared to 2022, according to Adobe Analytics. Shopper visits, a metric used to assess in-person sales, rose 4.6%. Consumers spent $12.4 billion on Cyber Monday, a 9.6% increase compared to 2022, Thanksgiving Day spending was $5.6 billion, up 5.5%. Cyber Monday's buying frenzy was bigger than expected, capping a record five days of holiday sales approaching $40 billion. Andrew McNeil at Seven Cups Fine Chinese Tea said, quote, I'm happy to share that our Black Friday weekend sales exceeded last year's numbers, both in volume and value. This held true both for in-person sales and online. Depending on if you include Monday in the final total, we're roughly at a 10 to 15% increase over the same period last year, end quote. In Montreal, Kevin Gascon at Camellia Sinensis T confirm, quote, sales are good, but we don't do Black Friday. We don't like the fever-pitched lust for stuff that it implies, end quote. Inflation has eased, but so did job growth in most sectors. Consumer spending overall reflects a cooling economy. The Wall Street Journal reports that U.S. retail sales fell one-tenth of a percent in October, the first decline since March. Retail figures are not adjusted for inflation, so slower spending partly reflects the cost of for many goods that have fallen. End quote. Looking ahead to December... Think Google gathers insights from search data associated with retail and is an excellent source of of top-of-funnel insights. Google Search was used before 95% of in-store holiday shopping occasions in 2022. Quote, As soon as December hits, we see the emergence of the determined shopping mindset Shoppers using all days and resources available to them both in-store and online to get their shopping done ahead of the holidays, end quote, advises Google. The opportunity for retailers is significant following Cyber 5, the peak deal period beginning Black Friday through Cyber Monday. According to a MasterCard analysis, 46% of U.S. consumer holiday spending occurred after Cyber Monday and before December 24th in 2022. So what's driving this opportunity so late in the season? First, many still have the bulk of their shopping left to complete and are more motivated than ever to get it done. Last year, the average U.S. holiday shopper still had 50% of their shopping left after Cyber 5 
and only three weeks to complete it. Gen Zers are an incredibly motivated subset with even more shopping left to complete relative to other generations. Second, post-Cyber 5 shoppers become more open-minded as they add to their list to shop for others. Last year, 82% of peak season purchases made in December were for someone other than the shopper, which is a significantly higher share than at any other point in the season. And third, every day is an opportunity. Last holiday season, consumers spent an average of $4.2 billion on weekdays and $4.4 billion on weekend days. Sri Lanka is experiencing a strong year-end finish to the tea harvest season. Tea production grew 22% in October compared to 2022, topping 22.8 million kilos, according to the Sri Lanka Tea Board. Year-to-date totals for black tea are well ahead of 2022 at 214 million kilos versus 209 million kilos during 2022. Overall production is up by 2.3% through October. Green tea production is down, but overall the numbers look good. According to the Tea Exporters Association, revenue from exports for the year's first half of the year grew by 10% to $635.5 million. Sri Lanka Tea Board Chair Naraj Demel said the focus on improving production is paying off. The board estimates 265 million kilos will be harvested this year, compared to 251 million kilos in 2022. Demel told the Hindu business line that the global market is not conducive for exports. Weaker European economies and lower tea consumption in Russia and the Middle East account for slack demand. In September, at the 24th Annual General Meeting of the Tea Exporters Association, the organization's chair said Sri Lanka has sustained its tea export revenues and continues to lead as a direct result of positive action, stakeholder symbiosis, and prudent decision-making. He said this now gives a stable platform to continue building the resilience of the tea industry. TEA reports the average FOB price of tea was $5.10 per kilo compared to India's $3.58 per kilo and Kenya's $2.60 per kilo. Quote, Sri Lanka is second only to China in revenue. Sri Lanka has achieved this feat through relentless pursuit, breaking global barriers, innovating, and taking risks, he said. Sri Lanka's tea blending, packaging, flavoring, and value addition are significantly ahead of its competitors. FAO resident representative Vilamendra Sharan describes salon tea as a niche. It's not a mass market, and that's where Sri Lanka can capitalize and add value, not just to the product, but to the lives of producers. Quote, consumers are changing their views, end quote, he said, adding, the trend towards healthy options and ethical and sustainable production, especially in more sophisticated markets where Ceylon tea is prized, is growing. So the industry must focus on these areas along with digital enablement and marketing, which is crucial for survival in the future, end quote. 
Next, Arvinda Anantharaman in Bengaluru presents this week's India Update. India T News for the week ending December 1st, 2023. Assam tea is to be marketed by Patanjali Ayurved. Assam's Chief Minister Himanta Biswasarma has sought assistance from Indian spiritual guru Baba Ramdev, who runs the popular FMCG brand Patanjali Ayurved, to promote Assam tea. Patanjali was launched in 2006 and has built its brand around herbal and natural products. Has a current market share of 89%, a market capitalization of $5 billion. And Indian media reported this week that Patanjali would soon add Asamti to his product portfolio, which is reportedly being done to help Asamti access a global market. Also reduce the threat of Kenyan and Sri Lankan tea to the industry, tea industry here. Uh, other news comes from the Duars in North Bengal where in October this year, 13 tea gardens closed following the inability of the management to be, meet the bonus agreement of 19% that was made with the trade unions. But this week, two gardens, Samsing and Banandangatondu, were reopened after being shut for 49 days. The Telegraph reported that these two estates had about 2,500 to 2,600 workers. And the state government secured an investor for the two estates and moved to reopen them. The new owner, Ritik Bhattacharya, was quoted as saying workers would be given a bonus of 9% and that wages would be cleared soon. The State Minister for Tribal Affairs and Backward Classes Welfare has said that efforts will be made to reopen other closed gardens in the region. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Nish. I grew up in an organic tea farm and founded Nepal Tea Collective in 2016. Tea is not just a beverage for me, but a catalyst for social change, sustainably empowering hardworking artisans like my parents for the past 30 years. I'm on a mission to make the whole world aware of the goodness of Nepali teas and the good that comes from supporting growers in this remarkable land. If you haven't tasted Nepali teas yet, you're missing out. Our award-winning teas are making headlines. Find out why. Visit Nepal Tea Collective's website to get a free sample of this extraordinary taste of the Himalayas. That's nepalteacollective.com. Or just send me an email at nish, N-I-S-H, at nepalteacollective.com. Cheers. The defiant American colonists in December 1773 who cheered the destruction of tea in Boston Harbor by 150 patriots in disguise, were witnesses to history. The Boston Tea Party led to the deadly confrontation at Lexington and Concord, New Hampshire, that began the American Revolution in April 1775. The year-long commemoration of this act of defiance counts down to a grand-scale live reenactment in two weeks. There will be special exhibits and artwork, virtual presentations and webinars, theatrical performances, and the dumping of a thousand pounds of loose-leaf tea, no tea bags, donated to the Boston Tea Party and Ships Museum for the December 16th event. Bruce Richardson, the tea maestro, has been an influential voice in the world of tea for almost 32 years. A classical musician from the state of Kentucky, 
Bruce told me that 50 years ago he married a member of the orchestra where he performed and never tires of the symphony. Yet, he says, I put down my baton and picked up a cup of tea to travel the world. Quote, So now I'm probably best known as the roving ambassador for Elmwood Inn Fine Teas, he said. Bruce is retired, but his tempo hasn't slowed. His son now operates the importing and blending company that he founded. Bruce has written hundreds of articles and authored several books, including The New Tea Companion, and co-authored with Jane Pettigrew, A Social History of Tea, Tea's Influence on Commerce, Culture, and Civility. He is an authority on tea culture who speaks publicly and is widely quoted in the national press and on television. He has served as tea historian and tea master for the Boston Tea Party Ships and Museum since 2011. Who better to recount the momentous decision to defy the British King in Parliament by tossing 340 chests into the sea, lighting the fuse of rebellion 250 years past? It's good to see you. It's been some time. It has. It has been. Has <laughs> well, you you look wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us on the T Biz podcast. Will you explain T's central role in the confrontation between the colonists and the king? When we talk about the Boston Tea Party, we we want to put it into the historical context. What was happening? Both in uh, in Europe and in the colonies at that critical point of uh, talking around about 1770 until the time of the Tea Party, which was 1773. What a lot of people don't know is that America was just as much in love with the ritual, the ceremony of tea, as were their cousins back in uh, London, Bath, or even over in the the Netherlands. The ladies of, um, of Boston, Philadelphia, New York, Charleston, South Carolina, were enamored by the tea uh, ritual. They had furniture specially made in their uh, living rooms for uh, to, to enter- entertain their friends and have have tea. So this was what got us into trouble. George III said, the ladies of Boston will pay anything for their tea. And uh, and then he regretted saying that because he literally lost one of his greatest colonies over a cup of tea. So in the 1770s, Boston is consuming uh, copious amounts of tea that was brought in uh, aboard uh, merchant ships. Uh, And legally, the only tea that could be brought in was through the East India Company. The problem began with the taxes on tea being so high that the price of tea was going up and up. The Dutch saw an opportunity to undercut the East India Company by smuggling in tea into the colonies. And so by the 1772, the East India Company, the British East India Company, was about to go under. And they told Parliament, look, if we go under, then uh, the government will go under, the banks will collapse. We are a company that's too big to fail. So Parliament gave them uh, their option of of having pretty much a, a 
clearance sale on the tea that was piled up in their warehouses in London. All that tea came from only one country. It came only from China. There was no tea being grown in India at the time. There was no tea in Sri Lanka. The Japanese were growing tea, but they weren't exporting it. So all the tea that went into Boston Harbor or into the teacups of Jane Austen all came from just one country, and that's China. So the tea was coming into the into London, into the warehouses, but it wasn't going out fast enough. So it started to pile up. It started to get old, and uh, it has a, it had a shelf life. So Parliament said, we will cut you a deal. We will allow you to ship 600,000 pounds of tea out of your warehouses over to the colonies. So on September 27th of 1773, ships started to leave the port of, of London on their way to the colonies. Now, they weren't just going to Boston. They were also going to New York, to Philadelphia, and all the way down to Charleston, South Carolina, because these were the major tea-drinking uh, cities of, uh, of the Americas. So the ships left. They made their way over to uh, the colonies in the, at the, towards the uh, end of the year. So on November the 30th, the first ship started arriving in Boston. Four ships were on their way to Boston because that, that showed you how much tea was being consumed at the time here. Um, and then one ship each to the other three cities. Well, Boston pretty much had to make the decision. The other cities said, well, Boston's up to you. You, you take this tea in. Uh, if you do, uh, fine. If you don't, uh, we will follow your lead. But uh, because you're going to be the first to receive it, whatever you do, we will follow. The cheap tea that was coming in was actually cheaper because the, there was no tariff on the tea that had to be paid to the to Parliament by the East India Company. But it was still just a small tax that the government decided to put on the, the tea in order to pay for their representatives here in the colonies. And so that's that was the rub. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And so people knew the tea was coming. They they got together and uh, almost weekly to talk about what was going to happen with the tea. It all came to a head on December 16th. Uh, 1773 in the city of Boston in the Old South Meeting House when thousands of people uh, crammed into that square around the around that building uh, to decide what to do about it. They couldn't make a decision. The ships were sitting in the harbor. Everything had been offloaded except the tea. And finally, Samuel Adams said, we can we can do no more. And that was we think might have been the signal for his people that he had put together to go down and destroy the tea. And that's what happened uh, over the next two and a half hours. Nearly 10,000 pounds of value of tea uh, went into the the Boston Harbor that night. Today, the value would be well over a million dollars. Several different teas went overboard that night. Will you describe them? One of the questions I get often is, is was was that brick tea or or uh, you know we know it wasn't tea bags but it was it was not brick tea and it was all loose tea all the brick tea went through the northern route uh, through Mongolia up through um, uh, on the camel's backs and horses to to make its way 
over to uh, to Europe. But it was always loose tea that came through the East India Company. So that's what went overboard that night. It's interesting that the tea went into the harbor, and it was the harbor that night was low tide, maybe two and a half feet, and all that tea started piling up alongside the ships. And men had to go out in rowboats and with their oars to knock the tea down, those big haystacks of tea, to get it to go into the water to be destroyed. When I talk to audiences anywhere, um, they are always fascinated to know that not only this, did this tea come from only one country, that was China, but also that of the five teas tossed overboard, two of them were green teas and three of them were black teas. Uh, the, the major portion of the tea of the 340 chest, and when we say a chest, we mean a large wooden case that held this tea. It was often lined with, with lead to keep uh, pests out and to keep moisture out. The, the chest could weigh anywhere up to, uh, to, uh, to nearly 250 pounds. Um, so those all had to be hoisted up out of the hold of the, the ship and be broken open to to destroy them. But anyhow, they held five different teas. Those teas, we know what they were because the East India Company assembled a, an invoice uh, over the next few months to list all the different teas by category, how much weight and how much value that they all had because they wanted reimbursement for that. So the five teas were the main portion was um, a tea called Bohi, a black tea from the Wuyi Mountains. The other black teas were Kangu, a very well-made uh, black tea. And then the, the third one was Sushong. And, you know, today we know Lapsang Sushong. Uh, and then the two green teas were uh, Hyson green tea and also Singlo from the Sunglo Mountains of Fujian province. This was a blow not just to the British government. It meant that local merchants in all of the colonies lost significant revenue because drinking tea was suddenly unpatriotic. Only loyalists drank tea. The arrangements through Parliament, through the East India Company, it was all arranged to go through the people who were who were loyal to the king. These were all loyalist merchants who were going to receive right. this this tea. It wasn't just the common everyday merchant down the street. And that again was another thing that rubbed the colonists the wrong way. It's interesting that the demand for tea did not diminish. The Sons of Liberty were rowing boats out to the Dutch ships and carrying the contraband tea back. One of the people who was probably the biggest smuggler of Dutch tea uh, is the man who had the had the largest signature on the Declaration of Independence. Uh, John Hancock was um, was a smuggler of uh, of Dutch tea, bringing it in and made quite a bit of money. He even offered to take all the East India tea on board his ships and take it back to to England for them. But we all knew <laughs> now why he was why he was uh, suggesting that it wasn't patriotic to drink tea after the uh, 1773 event. But even leading up to that, people got together and signed letters to say that they were no longer going to drink East India Company tea. This caused a problem because they still had all of the apparatus for making tea. They still had beautiful teapots and teacups. And the, the the ladies of Boston wanted their tea times. So they went out into their gardens, into their orchards to find whatever they could to go into those teapots 
to make something that was uh, colored water they could serve. So you had at that time a great advance in people drinking herbal teas or fruit teas, and uh, they called their teapots uh, Liberty Teapots, and these teas were called Liberty Teas because they contained none of the tea that was consigned by George III. They were making a statement by not drinking Chinese tea anymore. Let's flash forward. This is a delightful opportunity, a first glimpse or prelude to the nation's 250th anniversary. In two weeks, everyone in Boston will turn out to watch the reenactment. I understand the Boston Tea Party and Ships Museum has been collecting tea from donors to toss overboard. Will you share with listeners some of the exciting things that will make this a fun and authentic celebration? Well, the the Boston Tea Party Ships and Museum started a dozen years ago because uh, the mayor uh, said, uh, what's the most iconic event that happened in our history? And we don't have a museum to in- interpret that. And so that's why the museum came about. And even before they poured the first concrete, they, they came to me to say, we want to get the story right. We want to know uh, what the origin of the, of the tea was. We think that's important for our museum. So I've been with them uh, all those years. And we have the museum there. It rises up out of Boston Harbor. We have two ships that are replicas of the ships that were there uh, in 1773. And people can go through an interactive display uh, and immersion into the the days of the colonists and go into the holds of the ships and uh, and actually see one of the tea chests that was broken open in Boston Harbor there. We even have a vial of uh, liquid tea that was uh, made the next morning from some of the tea leaves that, that washed up uh, on shore. We've had over 2 million people come through the museum, and they finished by uh, drinking tea in Abigail's Tea Room at the top of the museum overlooking Boston Harbor. And there they can taste the five different teas that were tossed into the harbor on, on that night. So in Boston, coming up December 16th of this year, the entire weekend, we'll have events. We'll have um, reenactments of the in Old South Meeting House of the discussions going on bet- um, between the city leaders and uh, the people who were uh, were just uh, adamant about throwing the tea overboard. And then we'll have fife and drum corps and bands all uh, leading people in parades down to Boston Harbor. And the Boston Tea Party Ships and Museum, will, we've set up viewing stands and we will reenact the Boston Tea Party once again with tea going overboard. We have over a thousand pounds of tea uh, that's going overboard into into Boston Harbor that night. It's interesting. We have to get a um, we have to get a certificate signed by the city that says we can put tea into the harbor now because <laughs> it's it's illegal to dump things like that into the harbor. But we've got it all taken care of. So highly, highly biodegradable, though. That's right? right. That's right. No tea bags, and uh, everything has to be biodegradable. Most colonists really didn't want to separate from from England. They just wanted to have representation if they were going to pay taxes. They wanted to have a representative in Parliament that looked after their needs. So it wasn't until this event, the Boston Tea Party, that the, the tide started to change. And people like Samuel Adams started to think, well, 
we there's there, there's no going back at this point. We've gone too far. We might as well just go ahead and form our own country at this point. It's so if it had not been for the uh, Boston Tea Party, the the separation may have come, but it may have come years later than than when it did. To buy tickets to events and learn more about the celebration, visit December16.org, Boston Tea Party Reenactment, or visit the T-Biz blog. Intrigued by what you heard in today's podcast? Would you like to learn more from our global network of T-Biz journalists and tea experts? Remember to visit the T-Biz website for more comprehensive coverage. That's www.t-bizbiz.com. Thanks for listening. Farewell till next week. Produced by Adavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.